Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Let me pray. Dear Lord, we praise you because you are faithful to your promises. You desire justice and righteousness, and you are accomplishing all of your plans according to your timing and your will. Lord, speak to us today through your word, and convict us by your spirit of those things we need to hear. Amen. The music is from Handel's Messiah. Uh, who who likes it? Okay, okay, this is quite a bit of support in the room. Who could really take or leave it? So if a few people, that's all right, stand proud. It's okay. We're all different. We're allowed to like different things. Uh, for me, I think it's a, a fantastic piece of music. I think it's incredible. Uh, I also think it's, it's quite a fitting uh, piece of music for such a grand declaration. Uh, and they would have been sweet words to Israel as they were said in a particularly bitter time of their history. So to give you a little bit of the story, Israel uh, started out as 12 tribes and then they were united together uh, under one king, most famously King David. Uh, But every now and again there'd be an uprising and someone would try to take the throne. And eventually the kingdom is split. And so we have 10 uh, tribes to the north called Israel And we have two tribes to the south called Judah. And the final straw that breaks the camel's back for them never to be rejoined again was over the issue of taxes. So 1 Kings 12, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us and we will serve you. And the king refused. 
And so the north uh, appoint their own king. Uh, They set up their own religious culture. And from now on, the people of God are divided and at war. And so by the time we now get to this section in history in Isaiah, the nation of Assyria has risen up there in the north and they are coming south, conquering everything in their path. And so Judah, sorry, Israel in the north, try to now make an alliance with their enemies, Israel, Judah in the south. It all gets a bit confusing. Uh, Judah refuse and actually then join Assyria. Uh, if you can't beat them, join them. And then eventually the north is wiped out forever, never to be restored. And so in the midst of this geopolitical tsunami that's going on, Isaiah declares these words, that in the future, God would raise up a son who would rule with justice and mercy and righteousness, and his kingdom would have no end. And then they waited. If I could do elevated music right now, I would. I mean, you know, there's building the tension and all of that, and we all like a bit of anticipation, and patience is a virtue, and good things come to all of those who wait, all of that good stuff. But 730 years is a long time in anyone's book. And so they are waiting for this promise to be fulfilled. And so finally... In this passage today, we are on the cusp of something great. And it starts with a young girl who's betrothed to be married. And immediately, this story turns awkward to anyone who has a sense of reason. Because an angel appears to Mary and declares that you are going to have a child born of the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know if you've read the book, you know, Where Did I Come From? (laughs) But we all know that this isn't how it all works. You know, it's kind of funny, you know, when, when this angel appears, you know, Mary is deeply troubled when he says to her, you are highly favored, but seems to only be mildly perplexed when he says, you are going to have the Holy Son of God. So, verse 34, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? Verse 35, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So, the Holy One will be born, will be called the Son of God. I think for plenty of people uh, considering Christianity for the first time, uh, this is what you would call a defeater belief where you go, you know, I don't care how many witnesses there are to what Luke is telling us, this is beyond believing. And at this point, we do need to have an open-mindedness because we are seeing that God is choosing to work inside of history, in historical events. But we also need to keep open to the, the idea that God would work 
outside of his natural order for creation. So he's created everything, including things like gravity and time, to bring order to his creation. And if he can do those things, then surely he can also choose to work outside of that order to fulfill his promises and purposes. If someone's going to make an exceptional claim like Jesus is the Son of God, then you would want some exceptional proof. And there's nothing, there couldn't possibly be anything more exceptional than this. But for those of us who believe Luke's account, then it's also important to recognise that this is really significant in understanding who Jesus is. Because in this moment we see both Jesus, his godness, his divinity, and his humanity. And so verse uh, 35 it says, he is holy. And at the same time in his humanity... He shares in how hum- in our humanity. And so when he stands in our place as perfect, he stands in our place to take the cost and the consequence of our sin. So he is our perfect like-for-like substitute. So this is how the writer in Hebrews puts it. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. And so what we have here is Jesus who is perfectly God and perfectly man. Uh, But we're also going to see in this passage that he is the king. He's the promised king, the Messiah of the Old Testament. So verse 32, he will be great and he'll be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. It's not a direct quote from our Isaiah passage this morning, but you can see the connections, can't you? That idea of reigning on David's throne, a kingdom that will not end. And for any Jewish person who knew their Old Testament, when they hear these words about David, they're thinking back to an earlier promise that God made to David in 2 Samuel. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. And if you want to go back even further in Israel's history, and this is where Mary will go in her song later on, we need to go all the way back to Abraham. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be blessed and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all people on earth will be blessed through you. And so now we've got an angel standing in front of Mary saying, this is happening right now. All of those promises, all of those things you have been waiting for for so long, they are going to be fulfilled in the child that you will bear. And how does Mary respond to this mind-blowing revelation? 
I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. I think it's a very calm response, don't you? You know, after your whole world has just been completely turned upside down. You are going to be the saviour of the whole world. Uh, and she takes it all very well. Uh, it's interesting contrast uh, to Zechariah. Early in this chapter, uh, if you've read it, uh, Zechariah is a high priest uh, in Jerusalem. Uh, he goes into the, the Holy of Holies in the temple. And when he's confronted by an angel who says his wife Elizabeth will have a child, he doesn't believe him. He says, how can this, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. You know, contrast that to Mary, who hears God's word and trusts the angel that it is true. And then as we move through the passage, we now have these two sets of events starting to converge. So Elizabeth is actually a relative of Mary, and so Mary goes and visits her. And as soon as she walks through the door, there's just this, you know, bounding joy in Elizabeth. You know, both of them have been enormously blessed. But Elizabeth recognises that what who Mary is carrying, the Son of God, is something that is infinitely more significant than even her blessing of John the Baptist. And so what does she say? Blessed are you amongst women, and blessed is the child you would bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Now, the whole point of Luke, including this passage, is to point us to how God is faithful to his promises. But it's also an interesting example, isn't it, of how one person rejoices in the blessing of someone else. You know, so often in our Christian life, and perhaps it's more me than you, but, you know, we we can become envious of other people. Yeah, you hear the story of the person who's been talking to their neighbour about Jesus and how they've responded so positively and how they've got this great conversation going. Or perhaps we hear about how another church is just growing and growing. And our response should be that we're excited for these people. Isn't that wonderful that God is doing good things? But often in our more petty, selfish selves, uh, we become a little bit envious. You know, why doesn't God bless our efforts or, or my conversations? Why don't I experience those things the way they do? And so it's just a great rebuke. You know, it's a joyful rebuke, you know, as we look at Elizabeth's reaction to how Mary has been blessed. And so now we come to Mary's response, and it's all about praising God for his goodness and mercy. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Mary lived in a little desert town in Galilee. Later on, someone will say, Nothing good can possibly come out of Galilee. Little town, she's a young woman, which means she has very little social status. She has no power or control in her community. And yet God has taken this young girl in the humblest of situations 
and blessed her in a way that is beyond imagination. Uh, It's not because she is from some sort of noble background or royal birth. It's not because of that she is somehow better or more godly than every other young person. It's simply God's generosity and gift to her. Unfortunately, uh, what has happened is as Mary is lifted up rightly and recognized as blessed, that sometimes we've now gone even further and lifted her up to something far beyond what scripture ever intended. And so she moves from being blessed for being the mother of the Holy Son of God to being the Holy Mother. And that is a completely foreign idea in Scripture. Absolutely, she has been blessed. But who do we worship? We worship Jesus, the Son of God. When we pray to God, we don't need to pray to the saints, no matter how dead they are. We don't need to pray to Mary because we have one mediator between us and God and that is the Son of God, Jesus the Christ. And so at this point, our song moves. So it moves from Mary uh, expressing her thankfulness and joy to God to expressing Israel's thankfulness and joy. And in fact, Mary is like a, a sort of a living illustration of the situation for Israel. So again, if you know the history, Israel went from being, you know, a, a vassal state uh, under the Assyrians, then it was the Persians, and by the time we get to this point in history, it's the Romans. Uh, they have a king, uh, but really he's just a puppet king under the emperor of Rome. So the glory days of David are long, long gone. But Mary declares this hope to her people. God shows mercy to those who fear him, but he scatters those who are proud. He brings down rulers, but lifts up the humble. He fills the hungry, but sends the rich away empty. These words sound like the rallying cry of a social revolution where the poor and the oppressed, you know, rise up against the oppressors. It sounds like it's all about social change. This is the movement that Israel have been waiting for since the big split, since they became a vassal state under Assyria. And they're looking for and hoping for and praying for a Messiah who's going to come and overthrow Rome. And the people are looking for someone who's going to come and overthrow the corrupt authorities of society. And it's a grand expectation, but in fact it's an expectation too small. Uh, They want a Messiah warrior king. And what Jesus comes, what God brings, what Jesus comes as, is a servant king. Uh, Not someone who's going to overthrow the social structures of society, but someone who's going to bring a spiritual revolution. Where people are not just transformed in their social status, but transformed from within. Where he comes to pay the price for all sin, for all humanity, for all 
time. And he comes not just to pay the price, but then after to bring his spirit, who will convict us of what is true and shape us into being God's people and the people he's created us to be. Ultimately, there will be a social revolution. There will be a time when one day we will stand in the new heavens and the new earth and we will live and share life with the God who created us. Not as distant, but as present and personal. And there will be no more crying, no more mourning, no more pain. That's a wonderful future that we look forward to. So what we have in this song from Mary is two contrasting futures. God will save the humble and lift them up as they acknowledge God is God. But God will bring judgment on the proud and the powerful and those who use their wealth to control their own destiny. So depending on who you are, Mary's words are either uh, words of praise and hope Or they are foreboding words of judgment that we need to hear. If you're proud of our independence, if we refuse to listen to the God who created us, and if we choose to stand against him, then we stand as his enemies. It's not about whether we are a nice person or a good person or a bad person. It's about where we stand in relation to God. I think so often we want to stand affirming our independence and our freedom. And I think for some people, and perhaps for you today, you're thinking, you know, I like the idea of being Christian, but I don't like the idea of giving up my freedom for it. But of course, the reality is we're not as free as we think, are we? You know, we are slaves to our own desires. We're even slaves to the desires we don't want. We're slaves to our emotions. We're slaves to the pressures of our culture and society. And what God says is, I give you freedom. I'm offering freedom in a relationship with me. Uh, Freedom from our sin. Uh, Freedom from the consequences of our sin. Uh, Freedom for how to live now in the way that God has created us to live. This is the life that he wants to give us. This is what he offers us. It's a freedom from slavery, not a freedom into slavery. And so if you're here this morning and you're thinking, yeah, I'm not a Christian or, yeah, I call myself a Christian, but probably in name only, then can I really challenge you from this passage? We have two wonderful pictures or two challenging pictures. One is of blessing, but the other is of consequence. And so we need to listen to that. Are we willing to humble ourselves and recognize God as God? And to do that, we simply acknowledge our sin. We acknowledge who God is and we swear allegiance to him. So it's not just we want him kind of to help us out periodically, but that we want him as Lord of our life. That is what we are asking of God when we come to him. Uh, That's who we are as Christians. We've given our allegiance to our God and Creator. And we recognize Jesus as our Lord and Savior. For those of of us here today who are followers of Jesus Christ, 
And I hope there's real encouragement in this today as we see that God is faithful to his promises. That God has had one plan throughout history, from the creation of the world to the end. And God is fulfilling his plans in his time. And sometimes it can be frustratingly slow from our perspective. Sometimes we wish God would act in a way that more conforms with our expectation than a, rather than aligning our expectation with his. But God is faithful to his promises. And so we praise God with Mary saying, My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. Amen.